Where are you in your leadership journey? Designed to inspire and empower other ambitious individuals, the Mindful Rebel podcast series is designed to bring attention to grassroots leaders in our community and focus on where they are currently in their leadership journey. The podcast will share the advice of doers and thinkers demonstrating success in life and in their respective areas of impact. Welcome to the Mind for Rebel podcast, the podcast about journeys in leadership. In this episode via Skype, we will talk to Milton Davis, research and development chemist, author, and owner of the publishing company MV Media LLC, which specializes in science fiction, fantasy, and sword and soul. Uh, welcome, Milton. Hey, thanks. Thanks for being here. Of course, anytime. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here on the show. Um, so just to get started, um, how did you get into uh, black speculative fiction writing? Well, um, it was kind of a, a natural thing. Um, uh, I've been dabbling with writing for ever since I graduated from college, just kind of playing around with it and, and, and contemplating to do it. I had a, an, a, um, an English instructor that kind of sparked my interest in it because she thought that I should have been an English major instead of a chemist. Um, so over the years, I played around with it when I finally sat down to do it about 10 years ago, um, I knew that when I wrote it, I wanted to write science fiction and fantasy with black characters. Because over the years reading it, I never saw that. And that's something that I wanted to see. And I felt like it was something that uh, that readers, especially readers like me, would want to see as well. So um, it actually started as a personal thing. Um, just me writing what I was writing and trying to find a way to get it to the audience that I wanted to reach. And after, you know, and over the years, it's kind of grown into um, what we're doing now because I started contacting other writers and, and artists that were doing the same thing. We all started forming groups and networks. And next thing you know, here we are. So just for, you know, and, and this was a term that I, I was exposed to over the summertime because um, I never realized there was such a catch-all term for uh, black speculative fiction. So for, for our listeners who may not be too familiar with it, um, how would you define, uh, define the term? Well, um, black speculative fiction is kind of like a catch-all term. We use it to describe um, um, any type of uh, fiction that I guess would consider fantastic fiction, like um, science fiction, fantasy, uh, paranormal, urban fantasy, uh, steampunk, um, anything like that. Um, the term speculative fiction kind of covers all those different um, genres. Okay, great, great. And, and so why is it important for you to work, particularly as an author, with black speculative fiction, um, of like, I guess increasing that level of representation. Why is that important for you? Well, for me, um, personally, it's just, it's just what I do. It's what I write, and, um, and and it's what I enjoy because of the fact that, you know, over the years, um, as a reader, you want to be able to identify deeper with what you read. And I read, like I said, I read science fiction for years. I wrote, I read um, Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and all those people like that, um, but to miss that particular aspect of the writing to, to miss seeing characters like you in the stories and to be upset by those stories that when you do see black people they're always like um portrayed in a stereotypical way um is one of the reasons why i responded the way i did by writing what i write and also you know people find role models in different areas and different aspects and there are people who read science fiction and fantasy and and they uh associate with it and they identify with it and for people like that to read books in the genre and not see you know positive images of themselves you know it has a it has an effect on them. i think it really does have an effect on them. 
And I've and I've seen that effect and heard about that effect in conversations with other black writers and artists about what we do. So to me, it was really important to establish that that image, that positive image, that Im- and that um, I guess um, an image that black people could relate to when they read uh, science fiction and fantasy. For for a new reader who's interested in, I guess, diving into your work, what would you suggest as a really as a good starting point or entry point into your work, and why would you pick that particular, uh, I guess, book or series? And that's that's the always the hardest question because <laughs> <laughs> people always ask you that and uh, and uh, and my answer changes <laughs> depends on what I'm asked. Um, the first book that I wrote, um, the first two books, uh, Meji Book One and Meji Book Two, I believe are probably um, a couple of the strongest books I have as far as um, doing what I accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish when I wrote. Um, that's kind of my celebration of African culture and history. And I took, you know, I based every um, culture in that book on a existing African culture. And I did a lot of research on it from that standpoint. And, and I think it really does a good job at, sh- at that, um, showing the, um, the diversity of the African continent and the cultures and, and the diversity, not only in the people, but in the uh, cultures and the, and the beliefs as well. And, and that's one thing I was really trying to accomplish, and I think I did a good job at it. And I think for people looking for that Afrocentric thing um, in in reading, that would be a good book to start with. Um, if you're a neophyte and you've never read science fiction and fantasy before, um, the book I would recommend is one of my recent novels called From Here to Timbuktu. It's an alternate history novel. Um, takes place in a um, alternate North America where the southern United States is actually a black-controlled country. Wow. But I but I think the fact that it um, is has some historical base to it, and it has some I, I, some aspects of it that are, are more familiar from a contemporary standpoint, I think it will be easier for people to digest that particular storyline and um and probably spark their interest in reading something a little bit more uh, fantastic. <laughs> okay, so so you kind of touched on it when you talked about um, the initial two books. Um, this, this aspect of research. Why is that? Is that an important process for you when you're developing these storylines? And and why would that play such an important role in what you do? Well, it, well, it depends on on what you're writing about. When I was doing um, uh, Meji, yeah, it was very important. Um, but the fact of the matter was, I had been doing a lot of research on African culture and traditions since the '90s, and um, Meji was kind of like the result of all of that research. And that just came out of the fact that my, my first love is basically history. I love history. I love reading history. And um, at that point in my life, I decided that I needed to do a lot of research on African culture because, you know, that's, that was, that's my heritage. And I knew, and I, taught, I learned European history in school. So I needed to learn African history as much. And as I started to do the research, I just got so fascinated with what I was learning that um, the result of it was wanting to write something that would kind of be a reflection of that, of, that, of what I was researching and stuff. And so the research was really important, um, trying to get that feel, trying to transport the reader into another world and something that they could relate to. And also, I was trying to be very mindful of people from the continent, um, from different countries in Africa. And I wanted to make sure that I handled the uh, subject matter as respectfully as possible, um, even though I knew I wasn't going to get it right every time. And that's one reason why I made it fantastic, because I didn't have to try to get the specific culture completely correct. But I wanted to get that aspect of it and that feel of the culture in it. So the research was very important for that particular book and, and for most of my books because of what I write 
when I get to the more fantasy stuff, it's not as much research because I'm basically making everything up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a little easier. The two things are right to easiest to write things are fantasy and contemporary because contemporary is based on what I'm, you know, contemporary life. So it's easy to it's easy to write that to me. And fantasy is kind of easy because I can make up whatever I need to have. So, so thinking uh, about your what you've created so far, um, is there a character that you created that you feel like you identify with the most? <laughs> I try my best not to write characters that <laughs> have anything to do with me or, or anybody that I know. Um, but actually, one of the um, one of the storylines that I have that is probably it's my probably my least popular book. But it's the only book where I really did that, and it's a story, a line that I call the Savad, the Savad um, Chronicles, mm-hmm. and that book is very much um, based on growing up in the South, um, the culture, a Southern culture, but it's just, but it's incorporated into a fantastic setting. Um, all the characters are basically based on people that I know, and even the main character is based on myself, um, but he's kind of opposite of me in many ways because I didn't want to write something exactly like me. I wanted something that was like maybe opposite of me and stuff. And so that, that character would probably be the one I, I most identify with personally from a, from a writing standpoint, because a lot of situations that I put into that book are situations, real life situations that I've experienced and that friends of mine and relatives have experienced, but it just put into this fantastic setting so I can, uh, you know, explore it a little bit more, a little deeper. Uh, how do you promote reading at an early age for, I guess, for younger black and brown folks? who may be interested in in uh, black sci-fi and black speculative fiction. That's one area that I think as black writers that we've been remiss about um, is there are not enough books out there, um, science fiction and fantasy books, that are there for young black readers. I have one book, um, Amber in the Hidden City, and that book was basically written for middle grade age and it actually, it actually came from the fact that every time I did book signings, I had parents asking me, did I have books like that? Because they their kids were reading Harry Potter, the kids were reading stuff like that, and they were basically asking their parents, you know, I wish they were, they were telling their parents, I wish there were books like this that had characters that looked like me in it. Mm. And so I heard that for a few years, and then my wife, she's a teacher as well, and whenever I come back and talk about that, she said, yeah, you need to write that. You should write that because, <laughs> you know, she said, I see that too. So um, it took me a while because I, I didn't want to write it because I felt like I was being forced to or something. I wanted the story to come naturally. And it took a while for the story to come naturally before I finally wrote it and stuff. But I think you have to write on that level. And I see more and more black writers um, looking at doing it. But I don't think it's something that we have done enough. You know, you have to write books that are going to uh, be on the level that kids can comprehend and to give them, again, give them those role models because. You know, they notice that. They notice they notice the absence. We we talk about everybody being the same and we are as human beings, but but kids notice the differences and they notice when they're not present and when they're not being represented. And these books are something that are, that are really important to them. So um we need to do more of it. I, I need to do more of it. That's a great call to action. I think it's uh, it's it's very important. And that kind of goes to I guess the next question I wanted to ask and to put it lightly, have a lot of uh race issues that are still occurring. Um, why is black speculative fiction, I guess, so critical still and having that level of, um, you know, young black and brown folks seeing um, a hero that looks like them or seeing that positivity that looks like them? Why is that important, I guess, even now? Well, it, it's been a, um, race has been a big issue in speculative fiction lately. And, and the reason that I think it's been an issue is because you're finding more and more black people that are interested in, interested in it 
and involved in it. And again, like I said earlier, you know, there are people who look at this genre and they look at the characters in this genre and they identify with them as heroic characters. And they, you know, and they and they um, and they want to have a, and they want to have a closer, closer tie to it. And, um, you know, a lot of us science fiction people used to say, oh, it's science fiction and fantasy. You know, we're all the same here. We don't have any prejudices. But as the number of black people and and other people have started start to participate in it, you're starting to see that it has been an issue. And it, and it's always been. I mean, some of the earlier editors, you know, they would basically censor what was in their books based on race and stuff like that. Um, John C. Campbell was, used to do it early on and stuff, you know. Um, if you listen to um, what's... Um, Samuel Delaney talked about it. He was the first black person to win um, a Hugo Award. He won it back in the, in the 60s. And he talked about how Campbell treated him because he was a black person winning his thing. So it's always been an is, uh, issue in the genre. But like most situations, when we start to show up in large numbers, that's when everybody starts to get nervous and <laughs> it, starts <to> get, <laughs> it starts to get agitated about it. And the same thing has happened in science fiction and fantasy. Um, again, because you know people are, are watching the movies, they're reading the books, and they want to see themselves represented in it. And it's important to them to see that. And, you know, you can try to skirt around it or whatever you want to, but it's something, it's a demand for it. Um, I've seen a big change in the sales of my books from the, when I started 10 years ago to now and the interest in it. And not only is it happening among black people, it's happening among people in general. People want to start seeing these books reflect more of their real life as opposed to what some of the gatekeepers want it to be. And they want to see that reflection in there. So it's something that, you know, um, um, it's been a, a big push for it. I, I would say the push began through independent writers, such as myself and other writers out there, um, because we didn't have the gatekeepers and the editors and the agents to tell us what we could and couldn't do, can and, you know, could and could not do. And, and I think that's where the groundswell started. And as we started to become, we became more successful and started finding an audience that, you know, that uh, was looking for what we were writing, it eventually started to trickle into the mainstream, and now you're starting to see changes there as well. So what are your thoughts on the movement in, in, in the mainstream area? Do you think that it's a genuine, we're interested in, 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 in representing folks, or do you think they see the dollar sign with that swelling interest? I think it's a, um, I mean, being a person that has worked with large corporate companies over the years, I think it's more of a dollar sign issue than mm -hmm. anything else. You know, I, I always, I make the remark that, uh, Every so many years, every 20 years or so, we 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 become in style. <laughs> you know, it's like a cycle or something like that. And and I think the the, the thing about it is that people do it. Um, they'll let out a few books or something like that. Um, um, once the sales go down, then they stop doing it. And um, uh, back in the early 90s, when Terry McMillan came out with her book Waiting to Exhale, um, it, it became popular to have black women writers. And um, and a uh, matter of fact, Tana Du was talking to us about that. That was when she was first published during that wave. And she said basically publishers were just looking for black women that could write. And that's how she was able to establish her career. But a few years later, um, once the wave passed, you know, a lot of these um, uh, female writers couldn't get couldn't get contracts anymore. Uh, Tina, I went to a, a presentation that Tina McElroy did. She was one of the writers that came along during that time. And she talked about it in detail, how she was able to, you know, get signing six-figure deals and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, the whale ran dry. Mm. And, um, you know, and it wasn't there. I, I think right now, publishers and editors are interested in it. I think we need to be clear about their interest. They're not interested in it because they think black people are reading it. They're interested in it because they think white audiences are reading it. Their demographics are reading it. Um mm. Um, I don't think they're, um, I don't think, 
I don't think it's about us. I mean, even though there's more of us in the industry, I don't think it's I don't think it's about us yet. But the thing that encourages me about this wave is the fact that we have a lot of independent writers who are in this. And so when so when and if the major publishers decide that this is not a thing anymore and they move on, you'll have those independent writers that are still part of it that'll be able to sustain that that are interest and possibly grow the business even more after these people move on and say there's something else they want to do. So I'm, I'm skeptical about it myself. I'm, I'm enjoying the attention <laughs> and, um, and I'm, uh, and I think I'm benefiting from it, but at the same time, I'm kind of taking it with a grain of salt. I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about it. So looking back on your creative legacy of, of all the books that you've authored or that you've been a part of with your publishing company, what about your legacy so far are you most proud of? Legacy. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, I would say just the fact that I've written books that um, my main thing and the only thing that I that I focus on every with every book that I write is that I will have, you know, black main characters in my stories. Because my thing is that and is that when somebody says there's no sword and sorcery books out there with black main characters, I want somebody to be able to say, oh, yes, there is. There's Changa Safari. You know, or there's no space opera books, space opera novels that have black main characters, and that people say, "Oh, oh no, there's a there's um, dark universe anthology." You know, and and that's my thing is that I, I and and I and I have kind of done that lately is that I will look at areas where I don't feel like that we're we're getting the best representation, and then I'll say, "Okay, can we do a book in that area? Can we do something? Can we get some writers together to uh, to put some stories in that particular area?" Um, so we, so people will know, or people will see black characters in that. And I think that's the, that's the thing that I'm probably the most proud of. And, and the fact that what effect that has on not so much current readers, but on the young readers, Mm. Um, that's the most, that's what gets me more than anything else is when I'm doing a convention and I see, you know, young kids come up and they're excited about what they're seeing. And I know that they're experiencing something that I wasn't able to experience when I was their age and that they won't have that void like I had, you know, trying to wondering where this stuff is because they'll know because it's out there. And, and that's to me is the most important thing. What's one of the biggest business lessons you've learned as an author and a publisher? Well, the, the, what I'm experiencing as a, as a publisher, I had a business before. It was a different it, it was in something entirely different. So. The business aspect of it, uh, the the nuts and bolts of that part of it, nothing's really been a surprise for me. The um, but what was a surprise is that I didn't realize how hard it was to sell books. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's a lot tougher than I thought it was going than I thought it was going to be. You know, by this time now, I was, I'm supposed to be living in a mansion and selling my yacht, uh, but <laughs> but it, but it didn't turn out like that. <laughs> so, um, but I think that um. From a business perspective, I feel like it's almost a um, it's almost two different markets that I'm going after, kind of like um, um, Du Bois talk about double consciousness. There's the established science fiction and fantasy market, which is has a you know a, a significant a growing number of, of black people in it, and then there's this market, and because I concentrate on, on black people in my sales, there's a, a group of black people who I feel like if they knew what we had they would be science fiction and fantasy readers. Mm. And and that, I feel, is actually the most important group. I think that's where the largest growth can occur. Um, and the challenge as a business person right now is 
how do I get to those people? How do I get to those potential readers? And um, what do I need to do to get my books in front of those people? Because I found out when I do get my books in front of that audience, there's an interest for it. People are very curious about it, but it's a matter of just getting it in, getting it, getting it into the places where I need to get it to in order to to get that response and get that uh, and get those sales. Mm. So, so even along that same line of of, of growth, outside of the the business changes, um, how how do you feel like you've been personally affected the most by what you've created so far? Oh, that's a that's a good question right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think mostly it's been it's, it's affected me positively positively because of you you hear people talk about the power of writing all the time how it can affect people and how it can um, you know influences people influence people on how they think and and I think that's been the part of it that's affected me the most because honestly as a writer I tell people I'm not a deep writer <laughs> you know I write um when I sit down and write a book I'm not thinking about you know. Um, subject matters that are, that are, that need to be addressed and um, and need to be discussed. I'm basically just trying to write a good story. But what's been interesting to me is that when I talk to people who've read my stories and my novels, is that sometimes the messages that they get from the stories are a lot deeper and a lot more profound than what I was thinking about when I wrote the story. And that has kind of um caused me to be a little bit more circumspect about what I write. Mm. Um, it doesn't affect what I write. I still write the stories I want to write, but I realize now that um, when I put something to paper and I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, I think every writer could tell you the same thing. It's just something that we all experience as writers is that when I put something to paper that people are looking at it in different ways than, than, than how I look at it. And, and the interpretations can actually be more powerful than, than you may have planned, or it may be as may be as powerful as you planned. But that's been the the interesting part about writing that I wasn't really um, thinking about a lot when I got into it. But now I I keep that in mind more often now. The power of the pen in motion. Wow. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're gonna shift to the rapid fire questions um, before we wrap up with the interview. What's your favorite cartoon? <laughs> Johnny Quest. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Big Johnny Quest fan back in the day. I'm old school, so. <laughs> What's your best childhood memory? Um, running from the rain when I was a little boy. Out <laughs> in the summertime, we would uh, uh, is you know how it is in the summertime, showers just come and go. And back when we were coming up, people had carports with the little tin roofs on them, and you could hear the rain coming, and we would you know, make a big thing about it. You know, who can make it to the yard before they could get wet and that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> okay. Uh, what's a book that you've read, that you've been involved with, that you would like to see turned into a film? Oh, wow. Okay. There's a number of those. But I probably would say um, Immoral mm-hmm. by Charles Saunders. Charles was the first person to write a sword and sorcery story with a black main character. And I did not discover his work until... I had already written my first book, but you know, while I was writing it, I always said somebody else had to have done this before. This is just too obvious for somebody just to walk by it. And when his books were re-released by Nightshade, that's when I discovered him and um, had the privilege of meeting Charles and actually working with him. But though that, that book I think is significant in the genre and I would love to see somebody do a, a movie version of it. Uh, what's a period of history that most fascinates you? Ooh. Uh, these are some good questions. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think the um, 
if you had asked me this a few years ago, I probably would have said something different. But now that time in Africa, I would say pre-colonial Africa, right before um, um, you started having the uh, the uh, transatlantic slave trade, you know, this was a time where you had some uh, major um, African empires along the Sahel region and along the coast of Africa. And, and, I, and I write a lot of stories in that time period because I feel like that's, that was kind of like a golden age for the continent. And it's just really fascinating to know about the different cultures and empires that were going on during that time and, and, and how they were related with the rest of the world. Overall, what would you like to be known for at the end of the day? <laughs> uh, well, as far as writing is concerned, um, I think somebody that just, that just wrote good books. You know, I, all I want to see when people, I'm not interested in awards and accolades and anything like that. All I'm interested in is that when, at the end of the day, that people could sit down with my books and read them and enjoy them and, you know, have that time period where they really enjoyed themselves and, and had some fun with that kind of thing. And as far as black people is concerned, that they saw something that they could relate to and um, something that, would, you know, was, from, was important to them from that standpoint. Well, thank you so much, Milton. Thank you for having me, man. Of course. Uh, to learn more about Black speculative fiction and Milton's work, please go to mvmediaatl.com. Um, the site and more information will be posted along with the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mindful Rebel podcast. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode. Stay connected on your leadership journey with the Mindful Rebel podcast by visiting themindfulrebel.co following the show on Instagram at Mindful Rebel Podcast and subscribing to the Mindful Rebel on the iTunes Podcast app. Remember, the podcast is for you. So if you have questions about leadership that you want to hear discussed or you're interested in contributing to the show, feel free to share at themindfulrebel.co.